it's not the not the most uh, bright and sunny day that we've had in a while. It's caused a few folks to be able to stay away, I'm sure. How many of you enjoyed the last two days, though? Man, these last two days before today were just incredible. I mean, it was just it was just amazing. In fact, uh, I stayed outside as much as I could. And in fact, I had to anyway because folks were working inside the house, so I couldn't stay in there anyway. But I, I had to stay outside, but it worked out really well. I found myself thankful that they were working on the flooring inside the house because it made me go outside. And when me being outside, I was like, hey, this is a good thing. But it was just a beautiful day, beautiful day the last two days. I hope that you all had the opportunity to get out there and, and enjoy that on days like on days like those and these, uh, you can find yourself, uh, if you have a hammock, how many of you spiritual folks have a hammock? If you have a hammock, you can find yourself in that hammock swinging and looking up at the sky and talking to the Lord and just meditating on his goodness and uh, and asking him some really neat questions. And one of the questions that a lot of people ask is where is God? Have you ever asked that question? Where is God in certain circumstances? Where is God in the middle of tornadoes? Where is God when when saints are suffering? Where is God when people are uh, that are Christians are are dying in the hospital? Where is God? Have you ever asked that question? Have you ever, and sometimes when we ask that question, we don't ask it with the best motive either. Sometimes we ask it out of anger. Let's just be honest about that. Sometimes when you really when you're really asking that question, because you don't really ask where God is when you're having a great time, you know, at Six Flags on the middle, in the middle of a ride somewhere and you're like this is awesome where is god in all of this you know i mean you know you don't ever do that but it's when you find yourself in those terrible situations and you've been and you prayed before you know that, that's, that's that's how it happens this, this happened just to be the day that you actually got up and prayed before you left the house and something bad happened you're like well where is god now i tell you one of the one of the uh, i don't know if it was the worst or best fist fights i ever got in in high school was with one of my friends on the basketball team uh, we were in a bi-county tournament and we lost a game and we it was our it was just the way that, that the team did we always gathered together and we prayed before the game and we prayed after the game you know whether we won or lost in that particular game we lost and and uh, one of the guys afterwards we came in and he he said let's gather up and let's pray guys and this other buddy said one of my buddies he said well, why we won't pray where was god anyway when we was out there getting whipped we prayed before the game, and where was God anyway? And, of course, then I had to start trying to defend God, and that got ugly. And so then God got out the way, and he and I went at it. And when it was all done and said, where well, he was like, well, man, you done broke my watch. And I said, well, that's what you get for Reuben God. Don't be, able to, don't be talking bad about God, you know. So nobody else is ever like that. I, anybody else ever do anything that was unspiritual? Surely not. I mean, I think I'm the only sinner in this whole place. I tell these stories, and people look at me like, they look at me like, wow, I mean, you, you were really bad. Well, some of y'all were worse. Some of y'all right now are worse. My lands. If it wasn't for some of these altar calls around here, some of y'all would be in bad shape. You're worse than me now. He's looking at me with those super spiritual looks when I tell those stories like, that's not right. Pastor used to fist fight. That's a sin. Man, I'll tell you, I mean, I, 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 I'm, I'm only about that far away from fist fighting now on some days. I mean, aren't, aren't you? I mean, I'm trying, I'm trying to get up under the blood and be saved all the time. Sometimes somebody will say something to me and it hits me the wrong way. And that old, that old part of me that, that's supposed to be crucified pokes its head back up, up from under the ground, lifts its head up and looks around and says, Hey, did somebody say something bad to us? You're like, get back down in there. You're dead. You're dead. Every once in a while, though, something happens in our life. It causes us 
to wake up and wake up the dead man in our life. Sometimes we ask ourselves at times in those negative sometimes circumstances, where is God? Where is God in all of this? You know, one of my favorite characters in the Bible is David. How many of y'all like David? Anybody know anything about David? I mean, I could walk down here right now into the toddler class and I could ask the children in the toddler room, who is David? And all of them would say, he's the guy that killed Goliath. You know, we know a lot about David from that aspect. But if you've ever really studied the life of David, just chronologically walk through you know, places like First, Second Samuel, First, Second Kings, Chronicles, walk through there and study the lives of some of these individuals. You especially get into the life of David. He's just a prominent figure in Israeli history and perhaps the, the strongest, you know, perhaps the strongest king that Israel ever had. And you start studying his life and you'll find out as you begin to look at, at the different phases of his life after Goliath, because Goliath happened early on, folks. I mean, that was when he was a kid, probably 16, 17 years old, maybe. You know, there was a whole lot that transpired in his life after that point. And one thing that you can find about David is it seems like he always goes from one situation to the next. Anybody know what that is to go from just, you know, you go from one, one thing to the next? A lot of times it's one bad thing to the next. You know what I'm talking about? Am I, am I the only one? I mean, y'all kind of quiet in here today. Am I the only one? You just go, you know, you get your own one situation and you think as soon as we can get past this, things are going to get better. You ever make that statement? You tell your wife, you tell your husband, as soon as we get through this, it's going to get better. And then as soon as you get through that, you're like, well, where did this other come from? But as soon as we get through this, where is God? Poor old David. I mean, you know, look at his life. He starts with Goliath. That's quite a situation to walk out on the battlefield with a sling and a few smooth stones and face a guy that's nearly 10 feet tall. And you're going to have to kill this guy. And he's got, I mean, it, what a lot of people don't know about is it, it wasn't just a huge giant with a, with a spear and a, and a breastplate. He actually had an armor bearer that ran around in front of him. Did you know that? David didn't just get to face Goliath. He had to talk to Goliath through this other guy. And all another guy running around carrying his weapons and stuff for him. David has to, so now David's going to have to dodge this guy and hit this guy in the head with a rock in an area that's about the size of your forehead because the rest of it's covered up with a helmet. That's stressful. Y'all thought y'all had stress because you woke up this morning and there wasn't any milk in the refrigerator. Like, what are we going to do? You know, David's out there on the battlefield and he's got a sling. He's going to try to hit a spot like this. With a rock. And that's just the beginning of his life. He, he was prepared for that by, by being a little kid. Killing lions, tigers, and bears, oh my. While he was taking care of the sheep. Actually, I don't think there was any tigers. For those of you that are theologians. So you look at the life of David and we get past Goliath. And then here comes the Saul situation where, where Saul is bent on killing David. Even though David's the only guy that can pacify him when he's really got a bad attitude, he'll bring him in and have him play the harp, and he just it soothes his spirit. But he's like, you know what? Sometimes my attitude's so bad I don't even want it to get better. I'm just going to kill the only guy that can help me. I mean, poor David runs around from rock to rock and hill to hill and cave to cave, hiding out from Saul. Saul is, is taking soldiers, and instead of staying at home taking care of the kingdom, he's traipsing around all over the hillsides trying to kill one guy. I mean, David found himself in some pretty tight spots. 
You remember the story of Ziklag when David came home, he's supposed to be out in a battle, and, but the guys that he was going to go fight with decided they didn't want him, so they sent him and his fellows back. And when they got back, they got home, and the home was gone. I mean, the things were burned, the wives and children are gone, and his own men that were loving him are now saying, let's stone him. You remember that? Surely you've never been in that kind of a situation where that your best friends, you thought, are having private conversations behind you that involve bad things for you. So, you know, then there's the Bathsheba and Uriah situation, and that's quite a situation. When you steal your buddy's wife and then have him murdered, that's quite a situation. And then you hear the judgment being passed down about what's going to happen because of that. And then later on in his life, there's the time when David decided to number the troops and number the people out of pride. Let's see how many of us there are. Well, I was reading uh, the Old Testament the other day where at one particular time in Israeli's army, it seemed like there was like between 1.2 and 1.3 million troops. That's just the soldiers. That's a lot of people. I guess a fella could get kind of prideful about saying, hey, I got 1.3 million. Now, that wasn't David. It wasn't in his term. It was a few years later, but probably wasn't far off of that with David being able to say, you know what, I've got all these troops that are backing me up. And God only, all God wanted him to do is say, you know, it don't matter if you have five troops, 300 troops, 1.7 million troops. You got me. That's all you've ever needed, Dave. But David found himself in yet another situation of pride. And, every, and probably somebody here could list some other ones. You could go through and say, well, you're forgetting this one or this one. But I, I, I don't need to list any more to make the point that I'm making. And the point that I'm making is this. In every situation David found himself, there was always one common denominator in his life. And that was this. God delivered him out of them all. Let that get in your heart for a second. Every time he found himself in a bad spot, God delivered him out of it. Even when many of those circumstances he brought on himself. Aren't you thankful for a merciful God that when you get in a bind that is not of your making, you know God will take care of you. But even when you get in a bind that is of your own making, you know that God will take care of you. That's the comforting thing to me. I need him whenever I'm the one that messed up. Today, I want to carry this teaching about David and his relationship with God a little bit further from last week. Passage that we're looking at comes from yet another one of the situations that David finds himself in. This time it's with uh, Abimelech. And David feels that the best way to get out of this particular spot is to act like he's crazy. Anybody ever do that? I did that a few times. It works sometimes. I haven't done it lately. I mean, when I was younger. I used to do it every once in a while. You get in a tight spot and you start, you know, spit coming down your mouth, roll your eyes around and stuff. It helps every once in a while. I mean, it'll, it'll back off a few. So in this particular situation, David feels like the best way to get out of this is just to act like he's nuts. You know, there's another time in Scripture where David had done that. You know that other story and said the spittle had ran down his beard and he was carving on the wall with something and, you know, the guys are saying, is this King David? That we're, Is this warrior David? Yeah, that's him, King. This is the guy that wants to come and help us? This is the guy that we're supposed to be afraid of? Yeah, that's him. Throw this guy out. I mean, he's a nut. 
you know, you're a pretty good actor whenever you can convince them that you can go from being a warrior king and until they think that you're just a common idiot. Some of us are doing a really good job about that every day in our lives of proving to people, making them think we're just common idiots. There's a lot of people that think that about me even on good days when I'm trying not to be. So David in Psalm 34 and 1, he writes this, and this I was saying all this to lead you here. Now, this is going to be a little bit different today. I'm going to walk you through some scripture, and then I'm going to give you some things at the end pretty quick. So we're not going to spend a lot of time on this, but I want you to see this in context. I want you to understand David finds himself in yet another of these situations we're talking about, needing to know where is God in all of this. So verse 1 of chapter 34, Psalms. It says that this psalm is by David. He wrote this when he was pretending to be insane in the presence of Abimelech. The result of that was Abimelech threw him out. So David left. And then he starts talking. This is pretty awesome. David gets where he wants to go. He gets away. And then he starts talking and he says, I will thank the Lord at all times. My mouth will always praise him. That's what I do when I get out of those bad spots, don't you? My soul will boast about the Lord because those who are oppressed will hear it and they'll rejoice. Praise the Lord's greatness with me. Come on, y'all. He said, praise him with me. Let us highly honor his name together. He said, I went to the Lord for help and he answered me and he rescued me from all my fears. And everybody that looks to him is going to be radiant. Their faces will never be covered with shame. And then I believe in verse 6, he's referring to himself. He said, here's a poor man who called out, and the Lord heard him and saved him from all of his troubles. I love verse 7. He says, the messenger of the Lord. Can anybody tell me who the messenger of the Lord is in most cases in Scripture? Angel. The messenger of the Lord camps around those who fear him, and he rescues them. If you fear the Lord, that means if you respect God, if you are one of his children, then here's what's going on in your life, regardless of whether you're in a good spot or a bad spot. The angels of God are camped around you. Mm. They're looking after you, taking care of you, responding for you to the throne room of God. So he says in verse 8, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the person who takes refuge in him. Fear the Lord, you holy people who belong to him. Because those who fear him are never in need. Young lions, they may go hungry, they may even starve. But those who seek the Lord's help will have all the good things they need. And then he begins to teach, because he has something to say. Look at verse 11. Come, children, listen to me. I'm going to teach you about the fear of the Lord. He asks this question, verse 12. Which of you wants a full life? Anybody in here want a full life? Who would like to live long enough to enjoy good things? Well, if the answer to that is yes, it's me, then you need to, you need to heed a couple things. He's about to list them for you, starting in verse 13. He said, if you want to do that, then number one, keep your tongue from saying evil things. Two, keep your lips from speaking deceitful things. Turn away from evil and do good. Seek peace and pursue it. Why? And here's our text. This answers it. Because, verse 34, verse 50, or chapter 34, verse 15, because, The Lord's eyes are on the righteous people. His ears hear their cry for help. The Lord confronts those who do evil in order to wipe out all memory of them from the earth. Righteous people cry out. The Lord hears and rescues them from all their troubles. I want you to notice three ways that God is near to the righteous. So if you're a righteous person, here's three ways that God is near to you. 
Number one, the scripture there tells us in that verse that we just read, first, the first of those three, it tells us that his eyes are on righteous people. Here's what that means. Not going to get real deep today. We're just going to lay some stuff out. It means that the righteous have God's attention. That means he's watching them. He's protecting them. He's defending the righteous. Now, who are the righteous? We found that out last week. Anybody whose heart is right with God. How many of you were here last week? You remember last week? Those whose hearts are right with God are the righteous. And if you are right with God, and if your heart is right with God, and you are a righteous person, that means that his eyes are on you because you're his child. If you have children, you will understand what's being said here, especially the younger those children are. When your children first learn to start crawling around, pulling up, and walking in that stage, you got to watch them, don't you? They're so curious. They're so interested in learning about their world. They want to grab on everything. They, they, you know, you have to watch them because little JB, he's a year old. Every time that we put him down in my office, he crawls around, and if there's just the smallest thing on the floor, he'll find it with those little fingers. Isn't it crazy? And he'll pick that up, and he'll put it right in his mouth. I mean, we gotta, you just got to watch him all the time. It's a good thing I eat in my office, and there's a lot of good food on the floor in there. Otherwise, there's no telling what he'd eat. you got to watch little kids. Your eyes have got to be on them at all times. You can't turn away for a minute because the minute you turn away is the minute they get hurt, the minute they mess up, the minute they have to get in trouble. Isn't that right? The righteous, those whose hearts are right with God, regardless, it doesn't say those who are perfect with God because none of us are, but all of us children, regardless of what stage we're in and whatever mess up we're in the middle of, if we're hard as right with God and God loves us, his eyes are constantly on us. He is watching, defending, and protecting you. So much to the point that he even sends angels, assigns them to your life to be around you. Some of you are working your guardian angels to death. Some of them have to have vacations. They ride in the car with you the way you drive. That angel goes back and says, I need to be assigned to somebody else. He's going to have a wreck and kill me too. Some of you are hard to live with. Angels have to go up to heaven and tell God, I know you love them. They're your child, but they're tough. They're hard to be around. The righteous have the attention of God. And number two, it says that his ears hear their cries for help. I promise you, mamas, if we put you outside the room of the nursery and we put a hundred babies in there and we tell one of them to, to cry, you will know on the outside of the room without being able to see which one of those babies is yours. You'd know from the cry if that's your baby or not. How much more does our Father in heaven love us than you can love your baby? And he hears your cry, and I mean it gets his attention. David's own experience had taught him that this was true. God had always heard his prayers and his cries for help. 
when he's in trouble or when he's in danger, God had always delivered him. And number three, it said his face, and this is the scary one right here, guys. His face is against evildoers. They can't escape God noticing their actions. That means they can't hide. Now, this is good for the child of God. This is good for the person whose heart is right with God. Because God is with them, watching them, defending them, hearing them, and defending them against the evildoer. But it's bad news for the evildoer. This is bad news for the evildoer. He sees them, and the scripture said he is against them. My question is this. How terrible would it be to not only not have God helping you, but actually going against you? Because God isn't bound by his word to help anybody that isn't in covenant with him. If you're in covenant with him, he's helping you. But if you're not, he's not bound to answer your prayer. The only prayer God has to answer of an unrighteous person is a repentance prayer of sin. He doesn't have to answer the rest. He's not bound by his word to any of that. So if you're not living right and you're praying, you're not getting your prayers answered because God don't have to hear your prayer. So, so in some cases, people that aren't serving God, it's not that God isn't helping them. It's that God is actually going against them. And how do you know you can't beat God? You just can't beat God. He's going to win every single time. Boy, on the day of judgment, it's going to be a terrible realization for a lot of strong-willed people who were too smart for him, who just denied his existence. And someday, the scripture said, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess. Some will do it because it's to his grace and his, his grace and his praise and his glory. And some will do it because they have no choice. They come to a terrible realization that they were wrong and have eternity to acknowledge that wrongness. How terrible would it be to not just have God? He's not just helping you. He's actually defending against you. That's what happens to the evildoer. He says, David said that he is confronting them to defeat their attempts and he's also going to wipe out the memory of what they're trying to accomplish. Won't even remember it. Look at verse 18. I asked you earlier uh, with this title, where is God? And this verse is actually going to tell you where he is. Look at verse 18. David has said all this to get to this point. He says, the Lord is near to those whose hearts are humble. Where's God? How, how, how so? How so now, Pastor? Four ways. They're, they're found in these next few verses. Number one, it, the, the four ways are, are, are that he saves, rescues, guards, and protects. But I know they're trying to keep up with me, so let me put it this way. He saves those whose spirits are crushed. Then verse 19, the righteous person has many troubles, but he rescues him from all of them. Verse 20, he guards... All of his bones, not even one of them is broken. Verse 21, evil people will kill wicked or evil will kill wicked people and those who hate righteous people will be condemned. But verse 22 says he protects the soul of his servants and all who take refuge in him will never be condemned. So God is near to the righteous by the way he saves, rescues, guards 
and protects. So these verses are David's way of, of telling us that God is close to his kids. He's guarding their life. He's guarding their soul. He's looking out for their well-being. Now, we're still going to have some struggles. We're still going to have issues and even find ourselves in situations sometimes like David. But David is saying our God is real close through everything that comes our way. So where is God? He's everywhere. You say, well, I already knew that. But he is especially close to those whose hearts are right with him. He is very near to his children. Mama, daddy, how close do you stay to that little one that we talked about a few minutes ago? How close do you, you never get far, far away, do you? Somebody makes sure they're really close all the time. The scripture said this is our God. He, he is close. He's very near to his children. I want to conclude here in just a minute, but I want to just share an illustration with you. A story that I read about a little boy who who really wanted to go to a birthday party of a buddy of his down the street from him. But it was, it was you know, it was, when I say down the street, it, it may have been a half a mile or so from his house. He really wanted to go to the birthday party, and his parents had said that he could go. But on the day of the party, just a little guy, he's about five years old, on the day of the party, it comes a terrible blizzard. I mean, the snow, it's cold, it's blizzard, you can't even see, you know, you can't hardly see more than three or four feet in front of you. And dad says to the little five-year-old, he says, son, you're just not going to be able to go. I mean, this weather's too bad. You just need to stay in. You just don't need to go. And the little fellow started crying. He said, but daddy, all my friends are going to be there. And he, and he said, and all their parents are going to let them go. And so the dad thought for a few, a few minutes like some of us have done. He said, okay. He said, we're going to wrap you up real tight and put all the layers on. And we're going to let you go to the birthday party. So you be really careful. So the little fellow gets all of his clothing on all the different layers, his coats and tied all real tight in his boots and trudges out into the blizzard and he starts down toward his friend's house and it probably took him about a half an hour to get to the house and just as he got to the house, he turns around just for some reason, he spun around just looking around him and he could see just pretty close but far enough that he almost couldn't because of the blizzard, there was a figure retreating from him and he recognized that to be his dad. His dad had said, I'm going to let you go, but I'm going to go and watch and make sure that you make it there safely. I thought, what a perfect illustration of what David was saying in these verses. Now, here's how this whole thing wraps up. We understand that everywhere we go, he's there. In every situation, whether it's a good one or a bad one, he's there. In fact, the cool thing about God is before you get where you're going, he's already there. That's the neat thing about the righteous is God prepares the way for where you're going. It's not that you're, it's not that you're going somewhere and you're taking God with you and you're hoping when you get there, he'll still be there. Anywhere that God directs you, the strip, the scripture said that the right, the steps of the righteous are ordered. So anywhere that God directs you as you are going, he goes before you and prepares the way. Think about how difficult it would be to go through some of the things you go through if that weren't the case. You say, wow, I, in a lot of these times I've been in a situation I couldn't find God. I didn't know where he was. I thought I was all alone. Hang on a minute. If you'd have been all alone, things would have been a whole lot worse. God was going ahead preparing the way. So he's constantly providing for that next step. Step. But here's the last thought I want to leave you with, and this is going to be our altar time. Here's the thing about God. He doesn't always, in fact, he doesn't most of the time prevent the storm. 
Did you hear that? Most of the time, he does not prevent the storm. He never said he would. I've never seen that in Scripture. I've seen his promises where he said, draw close to me and I'll draw close to you. I've seen his promises where, where he said that the righteous would suffer. I saw that promise. That's not one that will preach on TV very good. Where that he said, if you're my child, you will suffer. If you're my child, you'll have to take up your cross, deny yourself and follow. I saw that promise. But I've never seen a promise in the word where that God said, because you're my child, I am going to prevent the storms in your life. Because you're my child, you won't face what other people face. That's never been the promise. The promise was, I'll be with you through the fire. I'll be with you through the flood. You still going through it. The question is, do you want to go through life by yourself or do you want have God going before you and making it a little bit better? Because you're still going. The wicked, how terrible it is for the person that doesn't know Jesus. Every place they go, they go alone. When they get there, they're still alone and everything they face, they face alone. But the child of God, even though they're trudging through the blizzard... Even though they're going through the tornado, even though though they're going through the valley of the shadow of death. Guess where God is? Very near. So close. So close. So close, in fact, that the boys that went through the fire, you remember the fourth person that was with them? He was so close to them that when they came out of the fire, they went through it. I mean, they went all the way through it. They went through all the sheer terror of knowing they were going to get thrown in. They felt the heat. They were thrown into the fire. They dealt, they went through the whole thing, guys. But how awesome was it when they came out to know that they had been with the fourth person that kept them not just from not being burned, but the scripture said they didn't even smell like smoke. You remember when our building burned? I still have a couple things that I haven't yet been able to part with that I picked up and I put in a tub and I put them out in my shop. Old messages and different things I put in the shop. Every once in a while I go out there and I open it up. You know what it smells like? It smells just like it did the day that it burned. It never goes away. That stink, once it, once that, once it burns, it's just there. It just won't go away. These guys went through the fire. And they're not singed. They're not burned. They don't even smell like smoke. Now, they went through the fire. Daniel went through the den. The Israelites went through the walled up water. You're going to go through a lot of things in this life. You're not going to get to be exempt just because you're his child. The difference is, though, he's going to be right with you. Where was God? People say, where is God in the midst of the tornado and all these poor people are, are killed? Where was God in the midst of the flood and all these poor people killed? He was right with that person 
who was going through that situation. You say, well, why didn't he prevent that? Why didn't he keep him? I don't know. Let's ask Stephen someday. Here's what we'll know when we ask Stephen. Hey, Stephen, how come God didn't keep you from getting stoned? And Stephen's going to say, I don't know why he didn't prevent the stoning, except there were a lot of good things that came from it. But the one thing that I do remember out of all of that, I don't remember the stones. I don't remember the pain. I don't really remember the blood. What I do remember, though, is looking up and seeing Jesus standing at the right hand of the Father, encouraging me, saying, I am with you always. Where is God? He is wherever you are. Because you're his kid. He's not just in nature. He is in you. Next time you find yourself in that bad spot and you say, God, where are you? Just listen. You won't even have to hear him call. If you're walking close, you'll hear his whisper. I'm right here. God, when are we going to get out of this? It'll be all right. I'm right here with you. I'm reminded, and I leave you with this as the last thing I'll say. Matthew 28, verse 20, Jesus, the Son of God, says, and remember, God's word translation, and remember, he says, that I am always, this is Jesus, he says, I am always with you until the end of time. Where is God? Wherever you're at. Stand to your feet. Close your eyes. So you got some bad news this week. So you found out something that you didn't want to know. So something fell apart. So you lost your job. Something happened. I don't know. Whatever it was, you found yourself saying, God, I'm your child. This is not supposed to happen to me. You're supposed to protect me, provide for me, promote me. And where are you at in the midst of this? This morning, God is reminding you, I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm not going anywhere. All of the world may betray you and leave you. Someday you may stand alone. But if that happens, he said, I will still be right here. We're studying in our, in our Bible series over there in Timothy. And we're, we're getting to the very end of second Timothy where, where Paul knows his end is coming. And so many of his friends have departed him and they've gone different places. And he finds himself alone in the prison. He's writing to Timothy. Timothy, come see me, man. I don't have much longer here. I'm not going to be around here long. Bring me that coat. Bring me that coat. Bring me, bring me some of that stuff that I, you know, that I love. I want to see those things again. I want to see you again, but I'm not going to be here long. Come on, come as quick as you can. Get here before winter. I don't even know if I'll live till spring. That's what he's saying there at the end of that. And in that moment, in that time where he felt so alone, where he, you know, he's just begging his friend, somebody come see me. Yet he knows the presence of God. God is right there you'll stop for just a second if you'll stop now just be real honest with yourself i'm not trying to get on to you but i'm saying if you felt you if you've heard yourself asking him where he's at then stop for just a minute stop being angry at him for just a minute long enough to hear his breath you'll hear it if you'll say i'm sorry lord i'm sorry i know you're here then you'll hear it again just like that baby knows when it goes to stick that screwdriver in the electrical socket. It's not looking at you. It's looking at the socket. But the next thing it knows before it can get to the socket with the screwdriver is hands grab it and lift it away. And there's a moment of realization in that child. Right then they realize, ah, mama's got me. Daddy's got me. And here you find yourself today. Maybe you're unaware because of the situation. You're not looking to the right or the left. You're looking at what you're facing. And God is saying, my hand is on you. 
you're not, I'm not going to let this go too far. I'm going to take care of you. you. Say, but pastor, I have an incurable disease. What, the doctor says I'm going to die. Well, let me tell you something. You might. You might die today or you might die 20 years from now. If you die in the next five minutes, it won't make a bit of difference. If you're his, he's with you. And where he's going to take you is better than where you're at right now. He'll never leave you or forsake you. You say, but I'm worried. I'm afraid I'm going to get sick. I'm afraid I'm going to die. What are you worried about? He's right there with you. Before you ever were born, he knew your life as a script. Where is God? He's where you are. So I want to give you an opportunity to respond to his word today. I'm not going to ask you to come down to the altar, but I just want you to acknowledge if this word is for you. Nobody's looking. I'm not, ma- I'm not going to make you leave. I'm simply going to have you acknowledge this word because I think there's, a, there's, a, there are, there, there's something that's going to happen in your spirit in a good way. The acknowledgement of this word today is, gonna, is going to, um, in, in some, I don't know how to, how to communicate this, and somehow it is going to defeat um, a hindrance that's in your life that's causing you not to sense God's presence. So I don't, I'm not going to ask you to come down here at the front. We're not going to lay hands on you, pray for all that kind of stuff. I just simply think that acknowledgement of the word to say, boy, this is my word. I have felt this way. I've been a little bit upset. I've been a little bit discouraged. I've been asking, where is God at in the midst of this? This is my word and God, I'm sorry. Your acknowledgement of that is going to break some chains in your life. And so I'm going to ask you right now, if that's your word, I want you to lift your hand up in the air. Lift your hand up in the air and say, it's my word. That's where I've been. Now lift the other one. Both hands in the air and surrender. Would you do it? God, I surrender. I'm sorry. Thank you, Lord, for your word. I'm sorry that I've been upset. I'm sorry that I haven't understood. I'm sorry for some of the questions I've asked, things I've said. But Lord, I do know you're with me. And now, Holy Spirit, I ask you to sweep through this room. Would you, would you crown this word with your anointing? Would you let that spirit of hindrance be broken in these lives? And open up that clear communication. I pray, oh God, you see them reaching out to you. And I know you, you're reaching to them. I pray right now, Lord, that they'll begin to feel your hand on their life. And that they'll sense your nearness. God, that they will hear your breath. Holy Spirit, move in this room right now. I pray for healing. Church, just wait on God right now. He's doing a work in this room. People are being reminded of his goodness. Some are being set free. God knows where he is. He's not unaware of his location. But why don't you just remind him of what you've been reminded of. Say, God, you know what? I know. I know where you are. You're right here with me. You're right here with me. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for being with me through the thick and the thin. Thank you for sticking closer than anybody could. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your spirit. Thank you for your help. I receive it in Jesus' name. 